0: Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, August 19th, we are studying Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. The third poem in the book of Lamentations begins by recounting the suffering that Jeremiah, Jerusalem, and the people of God have experienced under the rod of his wrath. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Denzer. Pastor Denzer serves as the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Misery Synod and the Chaplain for the International Center in St. Louis. Pastor Denzer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. As we get started this morning, Pastor Denzer, we can talk a little bit of context. This is a a new poem in the Book of Lamentations each of the chapters as its own poem. We've seen the acrostics in chapter one, chapter two. We've got another acrostic in this one, but we really are dealing with the center of the book here in chapter three. And unfortunately, as we you were lamenting to me prior to our recording, you don't get the most well known of this section, but that's coming. That's coming. As you think about the context in the book of Lamentations, anything about this particular poem, feel free to bring up, but particularly I'd like to to talk to you about as we get started the idea the concept the use of lamentation in general because it's it's one that i think that is neglected among us christians at least in our context today
1: it is uh, i would notice similarly that thanksgiving is really neglected among us we're we're most interested instead at doing exactly the wrong thing from a from a lutheran theological perspective which is we want to know what god's up to and we want to be able to say what he's doing Uh, based on what we can observe and what we can figure out behind the scenes. Basically, as if we could read his mind. And we're not very interested, frankly, in in what he says. That's exactly the opposite of the way the scriptures teach us to do it. We should go entirely by what he says, often even in contrast to what we see and experience with our eyes and our body. Uh, We trust his word above all else. And that means we're able to cry out uh, back to him uh, with whatever is going on in our lives. So on on the Thanksgiving side, I, I noticed this coming in to our church out of evangelicalism that we're much more interested in talking about what God has done and how he's been at work for our good. So, for example, people are very interested in figuring out what events in their life were God's special action for them. This was the time that God was doing this for me. This was the time that God, you know, came and answered my prayer because he gave me this blessing, and and I wanted this good thing to happen. That's how I know when it happened to me, that was God. Uh, Interestingly, but maybe fortunately, people are inconsistent. They don't usually credit God when bad things happen, but as we've already learned in chapters 1 and 2, that's exactly what Jeremiah does here in Lamentations. Uh, and it's, it's what the atheists yell at us, right? You know, uh, they, they, only, they think that we consider it an answered prayer whenever God does something good, and we never think it an answered prayer when God seems to do something bad that they're right in pointing out our hypocrisy, our inconsistency. I think far better than trying to put our finger on the moment where God's doing the thing that we wanted him to, or or to say, this is what he's up to. The, the Christian and biblical category is to give thanks when good things happen. When we know that the Lord is at work in the world, we know that he works all things together for us in Christ Jesus, as he's promised and therefore we simply give thanks for what he gives. We, we give thanks in all circumstances. We especially give thanks when something is favorable, and that's the proper response. Thank you, God, for this great gift. Likewise, then what do we do when things are, are evil, when, when suffering comes, when we're in great pain, uh, and when we can't see a way out of this? Well, there's another category of speech that belongs to this time, and it's not uh, theodicy. It's not uh, explaining why, well, I suppose God has good reason for it, and I, I know what it is, in fact. Uh, he's just, and here I'll, I'll do the math for him. Uh, it's also not excusing God. Well, God wanted to uh, solve this. He didn't really want suffering to happen, but I guess he was just too weak, or he was uh, asleep at the wheel a little bit for a moment there, oops, uh, or or something like that. Rather. You know we're we're crucified. We're on the horns of this dilemma, and we don't really know what to do. Um, but in the times when we don't know what to do, we pray at our simplest. Lord, have mercy on us. Um, and we lament to God. We we and that's of course the name of this whole book. We we lament. We we cry out uh, in our desperation. Um, maybe not with a demand from God. Maybe not necessarily. Although certainly included with it, a call for repentance. But in particular, that we simply say, Lord, what in the world is going on? Help us. Don't you see our despair? Um, uh, this is what's going on. And that's a lot of what we're going to see today.
0: In terms of so lamentation, lamenting, not the book, but just in, in our own Christian lives, there, there does seem to be a deficiency in the way that it's used by Christians but I, I'm, I'm guessing that the director of worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod can show me that there's not a deficiency of it in our worship service, or, or maybe I've missed something. What, what do you, how does Lutheran worship teach us to lament?
1: Uh, our, our listeners may be familiar with Dr. Gregory Schultz. He's a philosophy teacher at our Concordia in, uh, Wisconsin, and he's a fantastic teacher of the faith. He's a pastor himself as well. He personally, uh, and his book reflects this knows deep suffering, uh, especially with the death of one of his children. Uh, and, and so he's put a lot of personal time into this, uh, problem, but he's one, I think, who's sounding the alarm and, and the, and the need for, Lamentation to call out to God in our agony, um, and our pain, uh, and to call out uh, to Him not simply in praise to kind of like set aside our our bad times, uh, or to uh, ignore it in some way, uh, but but in fact to to call out and to pray to Him and to sing to Him even in times of suffering, and 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 to to reflect on that suffering uh, wh- while it's here. Um, he finds a deficiency in our hymns uh, that he notices our hymns are often quick to say, God knows best, right? Uh, what God ordains is always good. If thou but trust in God to guide thee, he'll he'll lead thee. Um, and, and he struggles with those sometimes personally. I don't share that struggle, but but I think he's probably right that the Lutheran hymn tradition, at least the ones we have still, Don't focus on this pure lament of simply calling out to God. There are great examples in the Lutheran hymn corpus of this. Luther's hymn on Psalm 12, which you can find still in the Lutheran hymnal uh, from 1941, uh, number 260. It's called, O Lord, Look Down from Heaven Behold. It's based on Psalm 12, and it really does just, for most of the stanza, call out about the the agonies, the the horrible things going on. Lord, there's people perverting your teaching all over. They say, by right or might, we'll prevail. No one can tell us what to do. They don't care about your word at all. Arise, defend us, O Lord. At the end, finally, it does say um, that the Lord will arise for his people. Uh, Likewise, the hymn uh, to the tune that we sing Uh, A lamb goes uncomplaining forth. Originally, that was a paraphrase of Psalm 137, one of the precatory psalms uh, by the rivers of Babylon. We laid down our harps and we wept when we remembered Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We can't. All we can do is lament. But the place where it stays, uh, uh, the place where you'll still find it, is in the psalmody. It's in the introit, especially, and the Graduals as well. Uh, I know this especially in the the, the one year lectionary, uh, which has a long history of use in the church. And you'll notice at all sorts of times during the year, the introit and the Gradual are very well. They're not the happy times. Uh, they're, they're not the happy uh, Psalm twenty three moments that we expect. But rather, it says, "You know, I'm surrounded by my enemies. Lord, arise for my defense." Some Great are the sorrows that compass me, and and at first I think to our uh, very comfortable time and and place in America that sounds out of place. You know, maybe we do that a little bit in Lent or Holy Week, but never else in the church here. Often, uh, sadly, I think people tend to set aside the the introit and the gradual as parts of the service altogether. In which case, they are missing this. Uh, lament emphasis in the church, that we actually use the words of God to cry out to God in our suffering, in our sin, in our affliction, whether that is caused by our own actions or simply by those around us.
0: Hmm. I I find in in the Lenten hymnody as well, although it's perhaps an indirect way, that the lament is there. Particularly, I I find comfort in, in hymns such as like Christ, the life of all the living, which which recounts all of the things and, and granted, it it talks, you know in in contrast so that you know for for example, oh, let me see, you know, thou hast taken on the bonds and stripes a cruel rod, pain and scorn were heaped upon me, oh thou sinless son of God, thus didst thou my soul deliver from the bonds of sin forever. so that you've got that contrast that Jesus did these things to take that away from me. but in hearing the things that my Lord went through, it it reminds me that, that he goes through the same things that I experience now. And and he did that for my sake. And so I, I find within the Lenten hymn that he as well, when I hear of the sufferings, the sorrows of Christ to know that he knows my sufferings and sorrows in that most intimate way also allows me that, that space for lament and that, that ability to lament particularly in those hymns I've, I've said that, and it sounds weird, but but it's true that I, I find great joy in those Lenten hymns. I, and maybe that's the reason, is because it's allowing me that that lamentation that's missing in other seasons of the church year or other times, that, I, and maybe I'm just not doing it in my own life. So, Pastor Denzler, maybe you probably I, addressed it. I, I think go, think ahead, go ahead. fantastic,
1: Pastor. I mean, you're right. So we haven't lost it when it comes to Christ and his sufferings. Thank God. And, and there's been a great revival and interest in our church in bringing back that. Visible image of Christ suffering on the cross, that he, that He is in fact dead on the cross, in the image of the crucifix, which I think is a fine uh, recognition that we were lacking that for a while, uh, and I hope that that can be one of the avenues by which true lamentation, which is everywhere in the Bible, not just in the book that takes that name, but especially in the Psalter, uh, that that this will be a way to get it back into our onto our lips. That yes, Christ Himself. Uh, experienced and himself lamented on the cross in Psalm 22, uh, and that we know his sufferings ought to have been ours. Uh, So perhaps that's a great avenue to get back into it. You, You know, one of the reasons I think we don't like lamentation is it sounds like complaining, And, uh, uh, you know, to complain to other people is kind of tacky, especially for a Christian who has all things working together for their good. We have the promise from Christ. So it is tacky to complain to your neighbor about how you have it worse than everybody. We have plenty of rebukes of that from St. Paul, you know, uh, don't think that the suffering you face isn't common to man. By the other token, we know of those who, who kind of in their rage, scream at the ether. Right? They, they, uh, they don't know who they're mad at. But uh, you know, that's what all the alternative music I listened to as a high schooler was all about. Right? Screaming and being raging uh, against I don't know, nameless and and uh, faceless gods. Well, you could see how that fits perfectly with a kind of atheistic mindset of our culture but for us as christians that's i think what sets off lament is yes we are complaining certainly we are pointing out uh, the great suffering and affliction that has befallen us in fact we're even blaming i suppose god as we see in today's text for sure but we're not addressing it at somebody else we're not addressing it aimlessly or just you know stewing in it ourselves we're addressing it to God. We're bringing it as a prayer. We're bringing it to his attention as the one we believe. Notice there's faith involved. We know and believe he can do something about it. Uh, and so we're not afraid to bring it at him. This is exactly what Luther says in the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, right? As dear children addressing their dear father, they're not afraid to say, what in the world is going on? You should do better. You're supposed to be my father. You you, you love me. Um, arise for me. Save me. Uh, have pity on me. Lord, have mercy. That's a lament.
0: Right. And, and that's what makes the lament more than just complaining or self-pitying, but it is that, you know, taking it to God as a prayer that, that really does separate it and and I think you know makes it necessary as well. and I, I, maybe you've, you've said this, but if you could reiterate it if you, if you have already that the necessity of lament because it does seem that that in our day and age, we want to go straight to the hope or straight to the praise. And, and, you know, to speak a little tongue in cheek, I've I've got a good, good friend of mine, a a pastor who's the pastor at the University of Lutheran Church in Austin. He he says there's a lot of praise bands out there, but there don't seem to be any lament bands out there. (laughs) (laughs) Why, why, why is that? Why, why do we need, and maybe we don't need a lament band, but maybe we should have one. Why do we need to lament and not just move straight to the hope, the praise? I suppose you could do it anthropologically and say, you know, there's more
1: emotions than just happiness. And and maybe there are the heavy metal uh, bands and the the emo bands can give us a little bit of uh, lament. Uh, But even so, that, of course, is not coming from a Christian perspective. You see this in the Psalter everywhere. Um, It is, in fact, we need to address God. He has addressed us. He addresses us in his word. That's what we put our trust in. Um, uh, He also addresses us, I suppose, in the world, because we don't think this world is outside of his control. But what he's saying is very unclear. Um, uh, This world is, is... is not speaking to us with the kind of clarity that his word does. This is why we make a distinction between his revelation and uh, and the revelation we have generally in the world. Uh, we want the Holy Scriptures to speak to us. We want the promises of God in particular, not just his clear commandments that we see in a dim way in our experience and in our heart's conscience and in the world's order, but we want to have the the sure word. We want to have the gospel that speaks to us. We want to have his promises. We want to have hope, which I'm sorry to say is utterly missing. In fact, that's the last phrase, right? There is no more hope uh, is the last verse you've assigned to me for today. But, uh, <laughs> oh, you have to listen next week, I guess, or the or next day. But just um, uh, simply to, to recognize that... Uh, uh, we need to deal with God because he's certainly dealing with us. I think that's a big reason why we don't want to lament or why we're a little more comfortable talking to other people or even to nobody or just ourselves is uh, is God serious. Maybe in, in some cases we have a responsibility for the suffering and we don't want to own up to that. But even if that's not the case, or maybe especially if that's not the case, if this is suffering that we don't have an exclamation for, um, what do we do? I think we're afraid of the answer that God might be behind it, uh, and we're afraid that now it's up to us to to justify him and to prove him somehow right in this thing that seems to be so wrong. Um, lament takes us away from all those temptations and says, you just have to face up to what's happening, and you have to address it to God, because that in itself is what faith does it 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 never lets god off the hook or tries to get him off the hook or tries to make an explanation for him but it's not afraid you know to ask him about it to to ask him for everything uh and this is what jesus said right the holy spirit will or the god will always give you know the holy spirit to those who ask
0: Yeah that that's a very helpful answer pastor dinger so let's go ahead and see how this chapter takes us into that lament we're in lamentations 3 verses 1 to 18 this morning i am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath he has driven me he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long he has made my flesh and my skin waste away he has broken my bones He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become a laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished so has my hope from the Lord. That's the text we've got for today, Lamentations 3, verses 1 to 18. Well, Pastor Denzer, there's there's quite a bit we can talk about with this text. Perhaps the, the first thing, and, and I don't know that we can give a full answer right here and now, maybe it's something we draw out throughout the conversation, but the text begins, this poem, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Who's, who's the man? Who is this man? Uh, it's very different way of talking. We know that that
1: that Jeremiah is the writer of this and that he is in a sense speaking on behalf of all Jerusalem, which is part of the agony of it, right? He's He's kind of observing this happen that everybody's taken away. There's no one else to sing this song if I don't do it. So he sits down and sings it, you know, but he does try to put his words as the mouthpiece for all of Israel, especially, you know, in chapter one, for instance, where he's saying, actually God was just in doing this. We deserve it. Um, here it's harder. Is, is this, it seems to take a more personal turn, especially at the beginning. So the question is, is this Jeremiah personally? Uh, some things don't suggest that. Is this a particular person or he's voicing it? Is this Judah itself as, as one man almost speaking, um, or, and I think this is an intriguing uh, position, is perhaps this somebody else, the other man who gets mentioned so much in the scriptures. Um, I'd like to come back to that later, but uh, I think it's something worth considering. Uh, yeah, I think so. Keep going, Pastor Denzer. Maybe the first point would just be to say, everybody listening to this who's a Christian has had these thoughts But has probably not wanted to say them out loud, has probably not wanted to entertain them very long, and has definitely not wanted to admit to their pastor that they've ever said them or thought them. But it is very comforting. This is a penultimate comfort. Obviously, this whole section is penultimate because, as we said, it's not going to end or lead us to any explicit hope today. Um, So please listen to the next episode. But it is a penultimate comfort to Christians to realize that to lament like this is acceptable. In fact, to, to, to keep it silent would be foolish, and to pretend like it didn't happen would be to lie to ourselves. God, of course, won't be fooled. Uh, but to speak it in the context of a prayer, to sing it to him, is in fact a godly thing. And we see that the godly prophet Jeremiah is doing this. So I would like our Christians to reconsider lament as a form of their prayers, um, because I think it will help them to be honest in their prayers and to speak directly to God in perhaps a way they haven't been willing or, or comfortable doing in the past. And you have a great ally in the Psalter, which is full of Psalms that take up this sort of language to speak like this. In fact, even to be so bold as to say, God, what are you doing? And to to go on for many paragraphs, describing it with great uh, vivid imagery. Mm.
0: Certainly. And I mean, we're we're actually studying the Psalms right now in adult Bible class here at Grace. And we recently covered Psalm 13, which Mm. begins, you know, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And, and one of the questions that was asked, and I, I understand why it's asked, because I wonder it too, is, is David sinning when he asks that? Is is he, and you could ask perhaps the same of this man here and, you know, think of Jeremiah, w- would Jeremiah be sinning to think these kinds of things? And it's a, I mean, I think that's you know our our way of thinking right now, and I I understand it. I, I in one of my commentaries on the Psalms, I read a, a comment, if I can kind of paraphrase it, that certainly it can be risky for a Christian to think that God has forgotten him or abandoned him, but it would be more dangerous and riskier still for the Christian to be in that state and not cry out to God to think that his loneliness and and the suffering that he's experiencing is is somehow makes him not able to pray and not able to cry out. And I found that very helpful. And it's really, I mean, it it gives me at least a handle on on Psalm 13 and several other Psalms and the book of Lamentations too, that that with all of this, certainly, you know, and we read that last verse of our text today, my hope's gone, like, whoa, that sounds dangerous, but it would be more dangerous not to pray that. It would be a lot more dangerous just to sit there and dwell on that with apart from God. I, I found that a helpful thought
1: yeah uh to lie to god is to is to, I, I it's it's difficult frankly to try and parse out and i'm not sure what the value is to try and parse out if it's a sin to speak like this it's definitely a sin to lie <laughs> and to try and lie to god and hide something from him that is the opposite of faith it sounds similar to ahab who was like well i don't want to ask a sign from god that's that's like testing him i think i heard that was wrong uh you know i'm going to be very pious now all of a sudden uh if you're having these thoughts, God knows them, like you're not going to hide them from Him. Far better to tell the truth. Uh, this is similar to an observation that's been made about Christ, that that his temptation in the wilderness from the devil was a true temptation, and yet he was never able to sin, and he did not sin in being tempted. It's not that way for us. We can hardly imagine something being tempting unless we've already given into it with our mind if perhaps not with our words and with our actions right uh in a similar way i think we read these things and and we think i'm uttering these in sin because i'm also imagining how i'm gonna quit the church and i'm gonna uh, commit suicide and and do all sorts of devastating things right um and thank be to god we stay our hands and our lips from uttering those things and from acting on those things um but prayer is the place where this goes also similar to this question many have about um uh, I don't think so much about St. Mary, who you know, says, how can this be since I'm a virgin, when she gets the news from Angel Gabriel. She doesn't seem to be questioning God or or doubting him or anything. People are, these days, much more concerned about what John the Baptist meant when he says, are you the coming one, or should we look oh. for another one? Uh, in a sense, I'm not sure it matters either whether they're doubting. Uh, what is far more important is to see what doubting Christians do, or or what any Christian does, when they have some kind of a question, or when there is the temptation to fall into doubt. It's answered by 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 asking the Lord, seeking out his word and his promises. In, in the case of lament, uh, in the case of great affliction, that is dealt with in this prayer, that, that returns to God's word, that brings them in confidence to him, and even as we see today here, that is willing to, in fact, speak this prayer, lament to God, as opposed to, say, keeping it silent or trying to pretend like everything's just fine or engaging in some kind of trickery and deceit. There's nothing deceitful about this this speech here. Um, there is something that's close to despair which is, of course, something to be worried about. But again, somebody who is despairing doesn't go off in a corner by themselves to try and figure out if they can find some hope before they show up at God's door. No, you go to God to receive your hope. That's why this mm. lamenter praised his prays to his father.
0: Yeah, and, and we will keep looking at that lament. This part of the chapter 3, on the other side of the break, you're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUO, talking with Pastor Sean Denzer about the first part of Lamentations 3. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, August 19th. We're studying Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 to 18 with Pastor Sean Denzer, the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the Chaplain of the International Center in St. Louis. Pastor Denzer, prior to the break, we were talking about this Lamentation as a whole and the first part of Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man. We're going to come back to who that man is and I think make a connection to Christ with that. One of the things that stands out about this entire section is the, you know, says the rod of his wrath. And then you get, he has done all these things in the verses. And finally, the he is actually named in the last verse we read, the Lord, Yahweh is the he. The writer here is saying God has done all of these things to him. How how is how does that work? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what he's
1: saying. And that's very hard for a lot of people to cope with i think it's hard because of something we mentioned earlier our hesitancy to lament is because we're much more comfortable explaining we would like to explain what's going on but in order to explain great tragedies destructions these in order to explain the inexplicable we have to put words in God's mouth, at least if you're going to explain it without the advantage of the word of the Lord, which Jeremiah certainly has. He's speaking this itself as an oracle from God. But even if he weren't, um, our our tendency is instead to explain what's going on. And for us in the modern era, there's one thing we're just not allowed to say. We know this deep down or we think we know this. And that's that God actually did something that was not nice, Hmm. uh, brought some kind of destruction, perhaps had his judgment fall on a people, um, or did something that we can't give a good reason for. Uh, This is a temptation we have when we face those who challenge our faith, is they bring a challenge and we think it's our responsibility to answer it right away. But sometimes what we think the real answer is, I don't actually know myself. This is the sort of thing where I would say, not being a prophet of the Lord with his special counsel. I don't know what he's doing. Jeremiah, of course, does. Um, And it's interesting, this phrase, the rod of his wrath has been used in the Psalms, it's been used in Isaiah. It's very much connected to what we see in the book of Job, which reads a lot like these lamentations, frankly, where Job is lamenting. And his friends are the ones who come along and try and explain what God's up to uh, and why, you know, it's really your fault, Job. You must have done something, otherwise God wouldn't be doing this. And, And Job says, I really don't know what you're talking about. Um, it's not till the end when God comes and answers and says, "Why don't you let me do the talking?" Um, so, so here the Lord, in fact, is sending suffering. What we don't want to say, or what we're not comfortable saying, is that He's the author of evil. That He, that He intends evil. That He, who is good, is 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 working this evil. Uh, and that's a dogmatic distinction that that we hold uh, in the Book of Concord. And yet there's so many passages in the scriptures that, that do talk about him as the cause of of suffering, that 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 this these difficulties are rained down on a people. And remember the the historical context of this. What is the cause or the occasion for the lament? It's that Judah has been destroyed. The temple of the Lord in chapter two has been wiped out. Uh, and who was responsible for this? Jeremiah's been clear in his prophecy. So is Isaiah. It's the Lord who's done this. It's because of Israel's unfaithfulness that that he saw to it that these foreign nations uh, came and destroyed it. Uh, we're hearing today about the destruction of Babylon on Israel. This was prophesied in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, of course, said, yeah, that's fine. It won't happen in my time. Uh, so who cares about my sons, I guess, after I'm gone? Uh, but but the whole thing was going to be carried off. And it was because of the unfaithfulness, which you see that attitude hinted at in Isaiah, in Hezekiah's. Discussion.
0: Hmm. I mean, so if if we're uncomfortable with language like this, you know, he has driven me and brought me into darkness. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. If we're uncomfortable with that, I suppose one of the, the ways to think about this is that the the consequence of not being able to say that is well, what does that what does that mean about God? Does that mean God is somehow not in control? That God is somehow less than God? I mean, is that is that part of the reason we need to be able to? hold on to this language and, and embrace it, even when it makes us feel uncomfortable?
1: It is. I, I suppose the answer is God said so. It's here in the scriptures. So we yeah. should wrestle with it rather. You know, We should wrestle with God in his word and not outside of his word in our mind. But yeah, that's exactly what it means and exactly what it protects us from, that we're not treating God as if he's really impotent. And if the only people who do the actions around here are us, that's an appealing position frankly um uh, that we're the only ones who can do something about the problem good or bad but but in fact it is a confession of a, of a sorts a penultimate one it doesn't quite get us to the hope of the gospel yet but it is true that that the lord works all in all that uh that nothing is outside of his control and uh we're gonna have to trust in something other than just our eyes and our actions and our reason that might, try and extrapolate from those actions what God means by these actions. That, that's the danger of what we call theodicy, um, putting God on trial and either being the defendant of God, which Christians tend to like to be, or being the accuser of God, which non-Christians tend to like to be. Uh, but both of those are putting ourselves above God, questioning him, which is exactly his his final answer in Job. Who do you think you are? You know, were you were you there at the creation of the world? Why don't you put on gird your loins and and I'll ask you some questions? Um this man's been crushed so much that I don't think he's asking any questions. He's just he's just admitting it all and he's saying, Just look at this God. Look what you've done.
0: Do you see this? That's a lament. Hmm let's well, so let's take a look at his lament then so i mean we we see and again this is lament it's poetry so we want to pay attention to the images and, and just as a reminder, we're in the, the Hebrew here. Verses one, two, and three all start with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Four, five, six start with the second letter. So that's how this poem is arranged in the Hebrew. Yeah, the principal. My Lutheran
1: school is having me uh, and a couple other guys read Dante's uh, Inferno, the Divine Comedy, the whole, the whole three books. And uh, his is kind of arranged similar to this, actually, where he's got little huh. triplets, uh, but then the rhyme scheme is different. The rhyme scheme, if you want to call it that, in the Hebrew here is all the first three verses start with A, and all the next three verses start with B, and uh, so it's an intensifying of what we've seen in the previous chapters. And it stands at the center. All of these are signals that this is the big moment. You better pay attention. Um, and and the, the big moment, I think, we'll see is actually what we'll have to listen to in the next episode. Uh, but the but it definitely gets heightened with this very personal. I am the man who's bearing all of this. And look at like for, for instance, verse two. What is the imagery? It's it's really hopelessness. Right. Mm. He's leading me into darkness without any light, not just like pretty dark, but all the way dark. There's nothing right. Um, His hand again and again, the whole day long, all of it is against me. Right. Uh, My flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me. So under siege In, in verse four uh this language has been used elsewhere it's been used in psalm 51 for example which talks about you know the uh the hand of the lord being upon me crushing my bones i, I would rather it that you would let the bones you've broken rejoice the psalmist says so also it's 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 in hezekiah's prayer uh that's recorded in isaiah 3 uh, where the judgment comes uh the lord is uh is bringing his destruction on them. Oh, I apologize. Mm. I seem to have lost my verse here. but uh.
0: well, that, That's all right. I mean, I, just to, to add to both of those images, the two and three, the darkness and light. And I, one thing that stands out in, in both of them is the totality of it, you know, darkness with no light, and that happens the whole day long. So when there should be sunlight, there's darkness and no light. And then into verse four, in those that language you were saying in, in other scriptures, you know, notice one of the commentaries I read suggested, you know, flesh and skin—that's the the soft part of me—and also my bones, the hard part of me. So again, the totality of my body has been broken. And then verses five and or verse five, particularly, and this will come up again in, in later stanzas as well. The the thought of being besieged or surrounded. Boy, that that certainly would fit into the context because this is all after the siege of Jerusalem at the hands of Babylon.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's it's not as historical narrative, right? And the poetry isn't so obvious of that, but it definitely has turned introspective, individualistic. You might even say again because this is a this is the man who we're still asking that question: who is the man who's surrounded by these things, uh, who has bitterness now uh, deep within him? So. Uh, uh, lo- so looking keep, on, keep going, Pastor Denzer. Yeah, yeah. Verse six is is very similar to Psalm one forty three. Uh, the idea that he's become like the dead. Uh, Psalm eighty eight is this also, and, and these psalms are used often uh, on on Holy Saturday. This this being in the pit of death in Sheol, in this this place of darkness, where where the praise of God, since we mentioned that before, doesn't. Sound anymore, right? Where where it is nothing but lament, or maybe even the laments have ceased because there's nothingness. Um, That's the image that you get when you talk about Sheol in the Old Testament. Mm
0: so in, in verse 7 you have a return of that idea of you know inescapability he's walled me about so that i cannot escape he's made my chains heavy so i'm in, in in prison or enslaved again you know i mean just part of the poetry is you know to to feel this to put yourself there in in where the words are taking you and then verse 8 i mean you talk about the hopelessness that's coming in verse 18 verse 8 takes us there i call and cry for help he shuts out my prayer that's a a terrifying thought to think that God shuts out my prayer. This is,
1: um, uh, I remember a sermon very vividly that began with these words. It's, it said, you know, we're always told that God always answers prayer. I think that's a plaque you can buy at Hobby Lobby even, but <laughs> what do you do with the fact that sometimes the Bible says God doesn't answer prayer? This is the passage that says that. So does Psalm 18, uh, in verse, verse 41, um, and Psalm 18 is a gloriously gospel-filled, uh, uh, Psalm, And yet it says they cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Or consider consider that widow, uh, right? The Seraphonician woman uh, who before Jesus, you know, says three times, help me, Lord. And the Lord says, uh, no, we don't have time for that. Uh, we're not here for your kind of people. We don't give the children's bread to dogs like you. Um, and you almost get the sense that the apostles are the ones who are most embarrassed, which is exactly you know why we are embarrassed to lament, why we struggle with these passages, because we want our God always to be helping people. We certainly don't want other people on His back or our back. And and what what do they do about this, right? Um,
0: mm. So uh, well, yeah, I mean, you—that's what. What do you do? You lament, I think. Or, I mean, that's what you have to do. I mean, that's and that's to go back to to say Psalm 13 that I brought up earlier, you know, how long, O oh Lord, how how long will you forget me? How long will you not listen to me? Simply, simply take that to him and, and ask him, why aren't you listening to me? I mean, now, even now that seems
1: foolish, ahead. doesn't it, Pastor? Why in the world would you keep <laughs> talking if he's not listening? because are, you
0: have his promise I think.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. What what kind of person keeps talking anyway if they're not listening? The kind of person who thinks he'll do that eventually. This is exactly what Jesus says in that parable when he says, you know, the, the 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 wicked judge doesn't respect men or God, uh but finally he gives in on this woman who won't stop pestering him. Fine, I'll give her what she wants. I'll give her justice. Just get off. No, leave me alone already, right? How much more does your God who who is not uh, bothered by you, but and loves you and even calls you his child. How much more is he to respond to that, right? Um, now, now it seems like the Lord is absolutely not responding. He doesn't even want to call Israel his children anymore. He's banishing them from the face of the earth. And yet Jeremiah is bold to keep talking. All he can do is lament. But but that's that's the prayer he's going to offer on this day. That is the what? Christian attitude. That's in fact what the Lord praises about that woman and her persistence. Uh, you know, the Syrophoenician woman, and and she catches finally the, just a little crumb, I guess. And the Lord says, "Well, that's pretty amazing faith."
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that really again points to the necessity of lament because within within the lament there is that element of trust. Why would I keep talking to someone who isn't listening? because I know he will listen. And just by that act of lament then, I mean, God is, I'm doing that because I remember what God has spoken, which is already in that act of lamenting, moving me toward the hope. And I mean, I think that's, again, that's why you need to lament because if you don't lament, then, and you just sort of dwell on it within yourself or complain about it to your friends or however you deal with it without talking to the Lord about it, then you forget that, oh yeah, he is listening. And you've lost that that step that does move you toward the hope. And I I mean, I think that's another reason why it's so necessary for us to do this.
1: Yes. Yes. There's something to that. uh, Why would you want to put yourself in the way of this bear and this lion who's going to, who's waiting to tear you apart? I don't, I don't know, but that is kind of the impression. Jeremiah is still wailing. He's not trying to keep quiet so that the bears and the lions don't hear him. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's still bringing it to God. He has, he has nowhere else to go. And he certainly isn't despairing to the point of giving, of, of not putting it in God's face. That is part of the faith that we see in the, in the Syrophoenician woman and here also in Jeremiah. It's very interesting. It, again, the other place of the Bible where we see this besides the Psalter is the book of Job, And in the book of Job, we we have the only parts that we really remember. I'm talking about the middle part that nobody reads. The the outer parts we remember. The beginning of the story is a nice little narrative, right? The devil comes and and has his bargain almost with God. Uh, And at the end of the story, Job gets all the stuff back. But we miss the middle, which is all these long, complicated Poetic. We don't like this stuff, right? Uh, this these poems of lament from Job, which are very depressing, and then his friends who try to cheer him up, and he he's curmudgeon that won't be cheered up. Uh, but what's interesting is there we know it's the devil doing all these things, right? Uh, which we're more comfortable with, I think. Here, it's almost as if the language of the devil is being used to describe God. Uh, bear we don't get very often in the scriptures, but lion. The lion is the one who prowls around. You know, seeking someone to devour. Peter says that's Satan. Here, God has become this lion, the one who's who's bending his bow to shoot his arrows. Now, that one is used for the Lord a lot more, right? He, the arrows of the King, are in the heart of his enemies. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like he's he's waiting for you at night, and when you go up to the go to the bathroom, he gets you in the hallway. That's what's going on here. The Lord is mm-hmm. is crouching low. He
0: is he is catching us at our weakest. Yeah, I mean, you, you do see other places that the Lord is called a lion. And in the book of Jeremiah, there's a couple of times, although it it comes usually in the places where he's speaking against the foreign nations in those last several chapters of Jeremiah. He yeah, when he arises himself. on our side. Yeah, I like that one better. <laughs> That's right. But but then you also have, say, like the book of Amos, where the Lord roars from Mount Zion, and he ends up roaring at his own people. Mm. So, I mean, it, it's there. But yeah, it's it's not the image... Well it's not Jesus as the good shepherd and I love that image and rightly so and, and Christians are right to cherish it but the the lord roaring as a lion against me that's not the one that I usually cling to and and yet Jeremiah deals with him he he goes you know he talks to that one to that lion in hiding for him Ready to tear him in pieces. You've got the again the image of the Lord as a warrior. I want to. I am going to move. We've got about eight minutes, and so I am going to. I want to move us toward the very end to that last verse that's so hopeful because I want to. I want to talk about that, and I want you to close. I think Pastor Denzer with that coming back to who this man is. So take us into that that very last verse of our text, verse eighteen, which is I would guess it's the low point. But it also seems to be setting the stage for what we'll see in tomorrow's text. Sure. If I can speed a little bit through the verses we're skipping, just if we're looking for this
1: reason or if we're looking for an echo of what we've heard earlier about, it is the sins of Judah that he's calling them to repentance. We probably have that there in verse 13. This arrows in the kidneys. The kidneys are always the the seat of the conscience for the Hebrew mind. This is the this is the repenting part. Uh, and there's no escape. Right. Uh, the bows are to, are to catch us in what? catch us for the sake of calling us back usually but here is a laughing stock. Uh, this filled with bitterness and with wormwood is is in place of satisfaction when you're looking for food what have you gotten the bitterness right um uh, something that doesn't sate your thirst but in fact makes you more thirsty and even uh, befouls your mouth um Teeth are in ashes, right? Uh, sometimes there's repentance, but definitely mortality and hopelessness. My soul is bereft of peace in verse 17. I've forgotten what happiness is or what good is. Uh, uh, and so I say. Now that's an interesting setup. Whether so I say means here's my declama- declaration, here's the the summary statement of my lament. That's one option, uh, talking about the statement. It also echoes... Uh, wisdom literature stuff like psalm 73 that in the middle of it basically complaint about how the bad guys seem to win all the time and the good guys seem to lose all the time why is that god uh i'm about to give up on you uh he says if i would speak like this i would offend against the whole generation of god's children and i'd be brutish and ignorant like a beast uh, he repents of, of this kind of a thought process. And that may be what's going on, especially, I don't want to spoil it entirely, what we'll hear next time. Uh, but in any case, what is the statement that either is one that's in his heart that he doesn't want his mouth to say and is in his body to follow in action, or, or his, the summary point and the, and the high point of distillation of his lament? It's that my endurance has perished and my hope is gone. From the Lord. That's the hope, right? Uh, and this is a deep despair. That's what the word despair means, to have lost hope. But here it's to even have lost hope in God Himself, which is a dark place. I, I don't think there's any darker place, and there's no greater danger. It's interesting. Martin Luther spoke about this kind of despair to come to the realization that the only person who could be for me is God. And he seems to be the one who's most against me. Uh, in which case, what the, you, there's no other appeals left, right? Uh, and, and Luther says this: he despised this kind of this despair, and he hated this until he realized how salutary it was and close to grace. Uh, and his meaning wasn't that you know by stoically coming to grips with everything's bad. I guess that's just how it is, but but that we need to be brought low sometimes before the hope, before the the comfort, before the gospel can actually sink in. That's where Luther saw this kind of despair being of some value, but but not to remain in it. And again, as we pointed out, Jeremiah is still here. He hasn't walked away. Uh, He's still talking, and we're only halfway through this chapter.
0: That's right. And, and the text will make that turn in what we pick up tomorrow, which is the center of not only this poem, but the book of Lamentations as a whole. So Pastor Denzer, with about four minutes left, then let's return to that opening question. You gave several answers and you've hinted, I think, at where you want to go. We've been talking in, in Lamentations 3 about this man who presents this lam- lamentation to God. Who, who is this man? Let's return to that question.
1: There's a fantastic piece that I'll commend all of our listeners. It's called The Lamentation. It's composed by Edward Bairstow, who is an Anglican composer. It's in English. That's nice for us. And uh, the words are simply select verses from the Book of Lamentation, all kind of rearranged. You know, uh, to tell a better story, we might say, uh, if you can improve on the Bible. But to put it more in a you know, Western type of thought, uh, it was compiled by uh, E.M. Milner White, who was a, a bishop and an Anglican priest. Interestingly, he was at King's College and he's kind of behind the lessons and carol tradition that some people might be familiar with. It's, it's a wonderful little set of Anglican chants, but it's three sections. And it, it's punctuated by the one verse that we don't really have, but you wish you could hear this every once in a while to remind us of the overarching theme of the book of Lamentations, and that is, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, return unto the Lord your God, that it is a call to turn, to, to remember him, to to, to repent and, and to receive his mercy, in fact. And it's it's made in three sections, the prophet mourning for the sins of the people, that's a lot of what we've heard in chapters 1 and 2. Uh, the second section, though, is called Christ's recalls us to God by his passion. And there you have a collection of all sorts of amazing phrases, many of which come from today's section. For these things I weep, my eyes running down with water. From on high the Lord has set fire into my bones. He prevails against them. He makes me desolate and faint. My flesh, my skin, he's made old, broken my bones. He's built against me, encompassed me with gall and travail. He made me to dwell in dark places like those long dead. I become a derision to all my people and their song all the day. Let him give him his cheek to the one who strikes him and be filled with reproach. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? See if there's anyone who has sorrow like my sorrow. Remember my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. And I think when we hear all of these little phrases, uh, again, not all of which come from today's text, but some of which do. Together we start to remember where we've heard these things before. Who it was who was in darkness all day long. Who as it was who bore the reproach of God and the gall and the wormwood. And who it was in the truest sense of all, whose prayers were not answered. And who had the grace of God, the hope of God, the promises of God, turned away from him, at least for a time. And that's our Lord Jesus on the cross. That's the only place where the Lord has has finally and so fully turned his back, uh, forsaken a a, a son of Adam, a human being, and that is the human being who was his own divine son, Jesus Christ. and I think if if we're looking for some hope in this section without, of course, going on to what we ought to uh, in the next section of this chapter, it, it's to see in what ways we have already foretellings of Christ's and his sufferings, that perhaps this man is him. Now, I don't know. The Lord, of course, has not lost hope. He's the one who prayed as his last words, you know, uh, into your hands I commend my spirit with the unsaid phrase, uh, you have redeemed me. You have raised me from the dead, I suppose we'd say, O Lord, my faithful God. Uh, And yet we see here uh, how uh, Christ uh, really can be described by so many of these metaphors, uh, but how, of course, he has borne this punishment as the true son of Israel, the true lion of Judah, uh, who has uh, kept God's commandments and at the same time suffered uh, for the sins of his people.
0: Pastor Sean Denzer is the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the Chaplain for the International Center in St. Louis, helping us today with Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Pastor Denzer, thanks for being our guest today. It's my pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the Book of Lamentations, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.